You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis, and this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast, the world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Hello everyone, and welcome to the Mariner's Mirror podcast. This week we are continuing our theme of air power at sea. I hope you enjoyed the last episode in which I discussed the excellent question how to drive an aircraft carrier with three Royal Naval Flag officers, Rear Admiral David Snelson, Rear Admiral Roy Clare and Vice Admiral Jerry Kidd, who is current Fleet Commander of the Royal Navy. Today we are merging this theme with one of our long-running series on iconic ships, a series in which we ask the curator of an existing historic ship to make the case for their ship being iconic, or we ask a historian to make the case for a long-lost ship being iconic. Today we are certainly in the long-lost category, as the vessel in question, the carrier HMS Ark Royal, was torpedoed and sunk off Gibraltar on the 13th of November 1941. To find out more about this groundbreaking ship, though I'm not sure groundbreaking is the right word for a vessel at sea, I nevertheless spoke with Matthew Willis, a writer of naval and aviation history. Matt has written numerous titles on the British fleet air arm in the Second World War and interwar period, as well as a biography of the 1940s test pilot Duncan Menzies, and runs the website navalairhistory.com. Matt has a book coming out in November, Fleet Air Arm Legends, The Fairy Swordfish, which, to my eyes, has got Christmas present written all over it. He lives in Southampton, but you can follow him in the online virtual world on Twitter at Naval Air History, and I would urge you all to do so. Here's Matt. Matt, thank you very much for joining me today. Sam, it's a pleasure. So I think let's start with a general introduction to Ark Royal. What can you tell us? Uh, right, well, HMS Ark Royal uh, was probably the first real sort of modern aircraft carrier, um, a really capable modern aircraft carrier built as such for the, the Royal Navy. Uh, she was launched in 1937, uh, sunk only four years later in 1941, um, but she remains one of the best known and affectionately remembered warships of the Royal Navy uh, in the 20th century, really. Um, she was just known as Ark um, famous for crucial roles she played in hunting and sinking uh, the German battleship Bismarck, um, for sort of holding the line in the Mediterranean in the, the, the sort of early part of the Second World War as the Royal Navy was really kind of on the back foot. 
Um, and her loss in November 1941 was was sort of really hit the Royal Navy and and the uh, the British people quite hard because she was such a popular ship. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you say uh, the first purpose built carrier. Let's just explain a little about that for those who don't know. I mean, how did how how what's the early history of carriers on on non purpose built carriers? What happened there? Well, um, aircraft carriers evolved um, out of a kind of ship that was called a seaplane carrier, which, as the name suggests, was just uh, a ship for carrying around seaplanes for different places to operate them off the water. And during the First World War, they evolved in such a way that they could fly uh, land, kind of land aircraft off the off just a, a sort of simple flight deck. And by the end of the First World War, you had a ship called HMS Furious. Um, which was almost a modern aircraft carrier. You know, it was a big, fast seaplane carrier, really, that had been um, converted from a battle cruiser with a big flight deck on the on the foredeck and aft. Um, and there were experiments with that. And then, sh- sort of towards the end of the war, just after the war, it was it was converted into the first sort of fully flush deck ship. So you've you've really got like a miniature airfield on the top of a ship, and you can operate land aircraft with wheels. Uh, straight off a ship without having to sort of crane them in and out of the water. And this evolved over the interwar period into a sort of integral part of, of the Royal Navy's um, tactics and uh, sort of order of battle. Yeah. So, I mean, I think other people might be also familiar with the the name Ark Royal, because the one we're talking about, the carrier 1937, by no means was the first Ark Royal mm, in the Royal mm. Navy. No, absolutely. Well, the first ship obviously uh, goes right back to the Spanish Armada and um, was uh, Raleigh's ship originally, uh, and then it was it was one of the key sort of ships uh, in the the fight against the Spanish Armada. Um, and this name sort of was dormant for a long time in the Royal Navy, and it was resurrected uh, during the First World War for one of the seaplane carriers that I was talking about, um, with this sort of converted merchantman is a really unlikely ship to bear this famous name but the idea behind it was it was to carry aircraft that were to defeat the the new armada of zeppelin airships hmm. um that were um operated by the german navy and that and the were sort of going to be seen as a, a possible increasing threat to the royal navy's operations um and uh, and from then on it sort of it became famous it was it uh, it was applied to this first purpose-built carrier um, that was really this sort of, you know, one of the prototype uh, of the modern aircraft carriers we understand it today. Most of the ships before that, um, certainly in the Royal Navy, had been conversions of other ships, uh, so existing warships or merchantmen or liners or something like that. And there was only one little carrier called Hermes, which was a purpose-built, very much an experimental ship during the interwar period. Um, so um, Ark Royal was kind of the the concentration of all those lessons uh, and all that kind of building up knowledge from those ships uh, that went into 1937 um, for you know the first real modern British aircraft carrier. Yeah, so she's the first modern British aircraft carrier, but she's the third Ark Royal that has yep. actually served in the Royal Navy. Let's think about the you know the what was going on in the early to mid 1930s when the Royal Navy is considering this new generation of aircraft carriers, but they're very much restricted by certain kind of rules and regulations, aren't they? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've got the, the various naval treaties of the uh, the interwar period, the Washington Treaty and the London Treaty, which restrict the tonnage that um, various navies around the world are allowed to build in various kind of ships. And aircraft carriers are considered capital ships. So you've got to balance the tonnage of aircraft carriers uh, you build against the battleships and battle cruisers. Um, and most navies are still pretty wedded to their big gun warships at the time. So there's a, they have to be careful about the number of aircraft carriers they build, and they have to be careful about the size of them, uh, because every everything like that is eating into this um, total that they're allowed until the until the treaties kind of, um, you know, are abandoned towards the end of the the 1930s. Um, so so Ark Royal is a bit of a balancing act. Uh, one of the features you can see um, that sort of relates from that is, is she's got this very distinctive overhanging flight deck at the stern, and the flight deck really kind of projects quite far out from the stern, which you don't see on many aircraft carriers. But the idea behind that was to keep the water length, the waterline length, relatively short, so she was manoeuvrable. It keeps the tonnage down, but it also maximises the size of flight deck. Hmm. I mean, what sort of number of aircraft are we talking about here? Um, Ark Royal was was quite good for the number of aircraft that she could carry relative to sort of slightly later British carriers. Uh, she could carry around fifty, uh, depending on size of um, the size of machine and uh, and the type of machine. So um, you know the main weapon would be the the torpedo bomber or TSR as it was known at the time. So tor- torpedo spotter reconnaissance. Um, it would uh, fulfil all those roles, um, which the main one, of course, is the famous fairy swordfish, um, and you know fighter aircraft as well. So uh, the, the, the at the beginning of um, beginning of the Second World War, just in the late 1930s, you'd be looking at the Blackburn Skewer, um, two seat uh, monoplane naval fighter, um, which sort of folded down quite small, but it was you know larger than something like a Hurricane or a Spitfire. Um, and those would be the kind of aircraft and the sort of numbers that that um, Ark Royal would be carrying, sort of forty to fifty. Yeah, and it, was that because of the strategy that they would be used to protect trade? Is that what what people had in mind for the use of carriers like Ark Royal? Yeah, very much so. When when Ark Royal was built, uh, it was very much the trade protection and uh, looking at the the trade routes, the sea routes to the uh, connecting the empire. So you know over quite large distances and out into the Pacific. Um, so you'd be looking at um, aircraft that could range far and wide, um, that, that wouldn't be going too close to land, uh, wouldn't be too um, need to be bothered about land-based aircraft, but they would be out at sea uh, patrolling, uh, doing reconnaissance for um, surface raiders um, and uh, things like that. That was kind of the thinking that that framed the way Ark Royal and her air group were were originally designed. Mm. And when it came to sort of the early service of the Second World War, is that what she ended up doing? Well, did she end up doing the job she was designed for or not? Absolutely not. Well, I... <laughs> I, say, I, I say that actually, to, to, be, to be fair, um, in the first months of the... Um, the Second World War, sort of up to the the end of 1939, uh, she was doing a bit of that. She was uh, involved in the hunt for the Graf Spey. 
um, you know, she she was using her aircraft to, uh, to to as a sort of part of a kind of task group with surface warships to uh, to hunt down these raiders, and she did do a bit of that. Uh, she missed Graf's Bay, unfortunately, by probably less than a hundred miles at one point, um, and uh, it ended up it was quite ironic that that one of the few hunting groups that were out there without a carrier was the one that actually tracked down Graf's Bay and, and brought her to action. Um, but after that, uh, the, the first sort of main thing that she did after that was the Norwegian campaign, which was completely at odds with with what uh, Ark Royal had been designed and intended for. Um, she was very sort of close into um, into restricted waters, uh, quite close into the coast, within range of, uh, of land-based aircraft. Uh, and she was really sort of almost then the prototype of the modern strike carrier um sort of sitting off the shore and and projecting power rather than being way out at sea and protecting trade routes so uh, it was not something that the, the royal navy had foreseen but uh, but but she she stepped into that role and and was was more successful than than i think anyone had had any right to expect and what did let's just sort of paint the picture of the norwegian campaign so mm. spring of spring of 1940 and the Germans are beginning to, to to occupy Denmark and Norway, which had uh, you know before been neutral. Mm. What was the what was the challenge for the Royal Navy there? I think the challenge for the Royal Navy was, um, as I said before, in, in a sense that she, that uh, this was not a role that they had anticipated for the for the fleet air arm, um, and um, they they were having to adjust their their tactics and their strategy and how they they really f- waged this war. Um, Ark Royal was not an armoured carrier. Uh, the, the later generation of carriers that were just coming along just after this point had armoured flight decks, so they mm. were, had a lot better protection against air attack, whereas um, Ark Royal was quite well protected against um, torpedoes and things like that, although ironically it would be a torpedo that later sank her. But she had quite good underwater protection, but nothing really, uh, you know, Above the surface that that was uh, that that was focused on on aircraft, mm-hmm. um, and then you also had the sort of systems that were were not in place at the time. So the the very successful um, fighter direction that would later become a feature of uh, fleet air arm operations just didn't exist at the time. Ark Royal herself didn't have any radar. So she didn't have any way of detecting incoming air raids, of which there were quite a few during the Norwegian campaign. Uh, certainly once the Germans, uh, the, the Luftwaffe got established on Norwegian airfields, they could send out quite frequent and quite large air raids to uh, to attack um, the the Royal Navy shipping that was that was trying to sort of prevent them from overrunning the country completely. Uh, and... Um, this was uh, this was sort of something that had to be kind of cobbled together. So there was a, a cruiser that had um, a, a relatively new radar set, and she would work in partnership with with Ark Royal, kind of radioing through, signalling through the um, air raids that were coming in, and allowing Ark Royal to direct her aircraft. And it worked pretty well. It was a sort of cobbled together arrangement, and it, it really focused on it really focused learning for the Mediterranean and later on operations excuse me but um uh yeah it was um it, it was very much the royal navy learning as it went hmm. and and what role in thinking about the norwegian campaign here what particular role did her aircraft have were they um sort of more focused with the submarine threat or with with land operations um 
the chief focus of Ark Royal's uh, aircraft in this um, in this phase was uh, it was mostly um, support of the land operations. Uh, it was a variety of operations. So she was doing anti-submarine cover for the for the fleet. Um, she was doing reconnaissance. Um, she was doing some sort of you know air attacks against. Um, uh, German shipping, not that there was very much that was getting involved at the time. It was predominantly air cover for the land forces um, mm. and, um, you know, providing a sort of fighter umbrella above the uh, the, the land forces for um, to, to defend against bombers. So the, the skewer fighters, again, uh, were, were sort of mainly, you know, patrolling above the troops. Uh, and the swordfish were, were doing things like uh, trying to attack aerodromes, um, you know, performing reconnaissance, uh, you know, dropping messages and things like that. So this was not a role that had been anticipated for those aircraft, especially beforehand. But but uh, um, they uh, got involved quite heavily in in that side of things. And the fleet's under a pretty constant attack as well. I mean, there's a significant mm. defensive role going on here, isn't there? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, so uh, the, the the fleet is is coming under quite quite frequent air attack, and there are stories from from people who were involved at the time of. Uh, Ark Royal's flight deck just being thick with the the shell casings from the anti-aircraft guns that have just been going off you know the barrels kind of you know red hot constantly mm. um and the um the aircraft um, which are you know not designed for this but um you know they've got to try and ward off these bombers so uh, um Ark Royal doesn't but a couple of the other carriers have some sort of borrowed well not really borrowed but um uh, gladiator fighters that are um uh, that have been um, converted really from RAF aircraft and, and just uses a sort of stopgap. And they've got these skewers, which were designed as a dive bomber and reconnaissance aircraft, which are, you know, they're not great air-to-air, but they, um, the fleet air arm pilots kind of find ways to make them work. So they're quite sort of orbiting at slightly higher altitudes, which allows them to dive in on the bombers as they come in and actually kind of gain some performance from from speed in the dive. And uh, the first fleet air arm ace is a... a, a um, fellow called William Lucy, who um, is you know gets all his kills on the skewer, which is a very sort of uh, unlikely aircraft for a, um, for an aerial ace. But uh, he's the first sort of Royal Navy pilot to to secure his his five kills, and he does that in the skewer chiefly over the Norwegian campaign. Mm, that's good. It's good. Good work. Good work in the skewer, isn't it? Mm. Um, the, the everything changes then that summer because of of the Mediterranean and opening up a new front there. Um, mm. This is mm. primarily, you know, Italy declares war on Britain, and it it changes everything, doesn't it? Absolutely, um, because the the Mediterranean has been a backwater until that point. It's been a sort of useful, quiet place where the Royal Navy can send its squadrons to train, and its its ships don't have a great deal to do. And then suddenly, it's uh, a, a hotbed of activity and then you have things like the Suez Canal which needs to be protected um, and uh, Malta um, which is simultaneously uh, a place that has to be, be you know protected but is, is useful for its offensive capacity as well for um, for the, the 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 axis supply lines across the Mediterranean um, Malta is a knife at its throat so the Royal Navy has a huge role in trying to keep Malta from falling um, and uh, and then sort of supplying convoys to to North Africa and uh, supplying material to to the the armies in North Africa now finding themselves fighting, so um, yeah, it, it causes a major headache for the uh, for the for the British for the Royal Navy really just overnight. 
Yeah. And it was interesting to read about Ark being involved in the attack on the French Navy, mm. because this, this becomes a, a serious problem, isn't it? You know, you've got the surrender of France. So what do you do with the French Navy? Yeah, very much so. Um, and the, the I mean, the German Navy is something to worry about, but it hasn't developed its capabilities um, as it's still a work in progress. It doesn't have the big surface powerful ships um, quite so many of them. Uh, the French Navy, however, does. Uh, and it's it's potentially a big threat in the Mediterranean, either if, if France becomes an enemy or if those ships find their way into German hands. So uh, you have these, these operations called Operation Catapult and Operation Menace, which are, are designed really to take those powerful ships out of play and kind of try to deal with the... the the political ramifications of, of uh, threatening to attack someone who was quite recently your major ally um, and not sort of making things worse out of those uh, in, in those scenarios. So, um, you know, Ark Royal was, was involved in the, in one end of the Mediterranean, um, things go quite well. Um, at Alexandria, the, the French sort of disarm peacefully and, um, you know, agree not to, um, you know, not to be a problem for the Royal Navy, whereas at the other end, uh, Mers el Kabir, um, the uh, they're much more um, uh, unwilling to um, put their weapons down and and take these ships out of use. So the the Royal Navy, Arc Royal in particular, finds itself in a stand up fight with uh, a, a navy and a country that uh, that had been a, a solid ally just really weeks before um and the first the first sort of attack on major warships uh, battleships and battle cruisers that the uh, that the fairy swordfish um and arc royal um take part in um were against the french rather than against the germans or italians which i think probably not many people are aware of i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. 
Yeah, it's, it's surprising, isn't it, how, how all of these sort of jigsaw pieces fall into place? Because the next problem is the Italians mm. and the Italian mm. fleet at Taranto. This is the winter following this, uh, the November of 1940. Mm. Um, and I, I thought this was fascinating. So Ark's not fully involved in that battle at Taranto, the raid on Taranto, um, but, but was involved in this diversionary raid on Sicily, which I hadn't heard about. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, one of the the issues for the, the uh, for HMS Illustrious and the the force in the uh, the other half of the Mediterranean that was uh, that, that was trying to take out as much of the Italian fleet as possible was to remain secret for as long as as possible um, and not to give the game away. Um, so one of the ways that uh, the Ark Royal over in the the eastern Mediterranean could help was with these diversionary raids. Um, and uh, one of the things they were getting quite good at was night raids. Um, so they they uh, take part in this um, diversionary raid on uh, on airfields on Sicily, um, just just really in order to keep the Italians kind of looking the other way until the last uh, until the last moment. Yeah. And it wasn't just Sicily, was it? Because they, they, they were involved in attacks in Sardinia as well. Yeah, I mean, one of the targets on, on Sardinia was, um, was this huge dam with a hydroelectric plant, um, which produced the majority of uh, electricity for the island. Um, so uh, one of the things that um, the Ark Royals aircraft uh, were, were sent to do was to, to, to go and kind of try and carry out this early dam busters um, raid on uh, on Sardinia um, and do this with torpedoes and um, you know there's bad weather really horrible visibility and they had trouble even finding it uh, and really heavy anti-aircraft fire but um, you know four swordfish managed to find their way um, and attack the dam and they did actually do some damage to it though uh, you know unfortunately it wasn't uh, it wasn't enough to sort of um, create a breach although that you know the, so that would have been a, a, a sort of early dam busters in the royal navy getting there first they didn't quite manage it but uh it, it was um you know it was quite an audacious raid mm. in that the, the following spring she gets um, a new armament or new, new fighters she gets some new fighters how significant was that to her operational ability yeah, well, the, the, the Ferry Fulmer, which is the first sort of Merlin-powered uh, fighter that the Navy's got, the first with eight guns, is still a two-seater, um, and it doesn't quite have the sort of performance of um, of the, the Hurricanes and Spitfires, but it's a step up from the skewer. Uh, it's got twice the armament that the skewer does. Uh, you know, it's it's got it's a good chunk faster, and it feels like a fighter, which I think the, uh, the, the fighter squadrons in the... Uh, the fleet air arm had had not really felt like like they had their hands on something that was um, they could do much in the way of aerial combat with before, and now they did. Um, and this was, um, you know, this was sort of an important uh, increase in in capability. And at the same time, the the fighter direction is is improving. Um, and one of the things that makes a success of the the former is that. Uh, the controllers are able to 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 put them put the, the aircraft where they need to be, so it's sort of quite an important boost in performance. Um, and yeah, it's got good range. Um, it's useful as a reconnaissance aircraft. It can sort of escort the swordfish, um, uh, you know, all the way to the target. Um, in most cases, so you know, it's it's um, you know things are improving slightly from the uh, from the aircraft front. 
Yeah, it feels like a significant moment, doesn't it? Because it happens just before, I suppose, the action she's most famous for. That spring, you've got um, Britain kind of keeping the, the, the hopes of the war alive with these crucial maritime convoys coming in. Mm, um, mm. The, the British are terrified of a German battleship getting into the Atlantic. And then, and then worst of all, it happens. Bismarck breaks out. Yeah, absolutely. And um, Bismarck is, is the most powerful certainly the most powerful Kriegsmarine ship at the time, arguably the most powerful battleship in the world, very heavily armoured. You know, she can quite easily take on any battleship that's in the Royal Navy at the time um, and, you know, could could handle sort of the kind of escorts that had been uh, applied to um, convoys at the time. So, you know, she had the power to potentially overwhelm the, the warships and go and make havoc among the convoys. Um, so it was really when she broke out into the Atlantic um, in uh, in spring forty one. It was absolutely imperative that that she be stopped. Um, and if you think of the sort of the fear and the effort that they'd been over the Graf's Bay, which was a much less powerful ship, uh, the, the the terror that there was over the, the Bismarck being able to get out into the Atlantic, into those wide open wastes where it would be really difficult to find her. It was really serious uh, kind of issue in the war with with Britain, you know, totally dependent on on supplies from from overseas uh, and uh, you know out of European allies at this time. So it was a it was a really dangerous moment. Mm. And then, I mean, it wasn't just the uh, the planes from Ark Royal which which finally defeat Bismarck. There's um there's Victorious also plays a role, doesn't she? Yeah, absolutely. And Victorious is is one of the new armoured carriers uh, that's that's sort of really designed for the Mediterranean theatre. So it's sort of ironic that she sees her first major action out in the Atlantic. Um, And, uh, you know, her she's she's barely she's not quite worked up. Um, Her her squadron of swordfish has, has not fully trained. Um, you know, they're really sort of thrown into the fight because there's no alternative. And in an ideal world, you know, you wouldn't be putting such an unprepared ship into the into such an important battle. But uh, you know, it was really essential that, that her aircraft get into the fight and, and try and do what they could. And, you know, to be fair to them, they step up to the plate. Um, they, uh, you know, they, they fly off an attack. They find uh, they find Bismarck. Um, and they put a couple of torpedoes into her, and these don't do anything. Uh, they they cause no uh, no significant damage. Uh, well, I say significant damage. That's kind of that's uh, that's a bit of a debated point because uh, they didn't they didn't sink her. They didn't um, you know they didn't do do the kind of damage that Ark Royal's swordfish did later. But there was uh, one torpedo hit um, on her armor belt. Which um, ha- potentially loosened the repairs that had been done earlier uh, to a shell hit that had, that she'd received from HMS Prince of Wales, um, caused further flooding, um, and well, actually, it's 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 not in doubt that the the attack of Victorious's aircraft actually caused that damage, caused further flooding, caused further leaks into a fuel tank. Um, because it was either caused by the torpedo or it was caused by Bismarck manoeuvring to try and avoid the torpedo. So either way, we can chalk that one up to Victorious' swordfish. And that slowed slowed Bismarck down a little bit, um, and it meant that that it was, you know, she had no choice but to try and put into a French port, where she might have had other options before that. 
But along, along come the, uh, the, the, the aircraft from Ark Royal and finish her off. Well, um, not quite as simple as that, um, because <laughs> first they attack HMS Sheffield out of, out of uh, a mistake. Um, oh. which, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about that. What happened there? Uh, right. So um, yeah, HMS Sheffield has been sent forward to, to keep tabs on Bismarck with her radar. Uh, there's a breakdown in communication and nobody tells the air crew from Ark Royal that there's a friendly warship in the area. They think that uh, the only major warship they're likely to come across is Bismarck. Um, now, out in the, the Atlantic at the time, um, terrible weather, terrible visibility. Uh, you know, it's not easy to, um, to see any ship at all. So when they, they, they come upon a big grey ship bristling with guns, they, uh, they make an assumption and they attack it. And uh, fortunately for them, the, the captain's on his game, realises that these are friendly aircraft and doesn't fire back with his, his anti-aircraft guns. Um, he manages to avoid most of the torpedoes, but some of them crucially blow up as they hit the water. And this is a surprise to the swordfish crew as well as uh, the captain of Sheffield. Quite a welcome surprise in both cases, because they realise that there's something about their torpedoes that's not right. Um, this is a device that they'd actually put into torpedoes just before Taranto, and which had actually worked very successful in Taranto, which enables the, the torpedo to, to go under the warship and explode in proximity uh, without actually making contact and um, explode in the more vulnerable area of the warship. Um, and you know, it was generally a better thing to do than to, to try and hit it in the side where it's nicely armoured. Um, but these things aren't working in the rough conditions that, uh, that, that Ark Royal's aircraft are facing. So they realise that, uh, that these duplex pistols, as they're called, aren't working, so they head back to Ark Royal, tail slightly between their legs, having a, attacked a friendly ship, but <laughs> yeah. having, having learned a valuable lesson, and they change their torpedoes for ones with contact pistols that explode on contact. And do they do the job? What happens? Right, uh, so the next attack... Um, they managed to find their way through the weather, uh, you know, snow, blizzards, ice forming on the wings, and these open cockpit biplanes, they're kind of limping their way into the teeth of a gale. Mm. And they find Bismarck, and Bismarck is pelting them with anti-aircraft fire. Um, the swordfish are sort of dodging in and out of cloud to try and, uh, you know, find a clear window to come in and, and attack. And um, they managed to get a couple of torpedoes on target, um, again, one of them goes into the armor belt, uh, which um, doesn't do a great deal of damage. The other one crucially hits the stern near the rudders, um, you know, sends a huge shock right through the stern of the ship, um, you know, does kind of tremendous damage within the ship, but most crucially, it jams the rudder into a port turn. And uh, Bismarck can't free the rudder, uh, so she's now stuck in a a very large circle going to port and um you know this 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 changes everything because she now can't she doesn't have freedom of movement um she's going in a circle rather than heading directly towards france um mm -hmm. and there's a big pack of royal navy warships who are heading in that direction and uh, just sort of itching for the chance to uh, um to get within gun range yeah and then and then is it just she's just destroyed it sort of bit by bit yeah, um, sort of dismantled very much by the heavy gunnery, and uh, you know this is it, this sort of proves what a tough nut um, Bismarck was to crash uh, to to crack, because even um, even after having been disabled, you know, having gone through several air attacks, 
um, having not having freedom of manoeuvre, she still takes absolutely hours um, to be dismantled by, you know, the, the combined guns of, of uh, you know, half a dozen battleships and cruisers. Um, you know, they also try and put torpedoes into her. Um, the swordfish are sent out again with torpedoes, but by the time they get there, it's it's uh, it's more or less certain that uh, it's just a matter of time. So they don't uh, they don't then make another attack. But um, yeah, the, and this was all really down to, uh, to to the fairy swordfish, and you can call it a a lucky hit. Um, but in essence, this was what the uh, this is what the fleet air arm had been developed to do. Um, its main job, uh, when it was being built up in the interwar period, was uh, to act as a sort of integral part of the battle fleet, and for its aircraft to uh, disable and damage the enemy battleships um, so that the Royal Navy warships can, can can catch up and finish the job with the gun. Um, and at the, well, they didn't, well, they did finish the job with the gun. You, know, you can argue with whether Bismarck was scuttled or whether a torpedo sank her or, or, you know, whether, um, you know, whether the gunfire did the job. Eventually she was, you know, she was no more use as a, as an effective battleship um, regardless of, of what caused the final sinking. Um, and that had come down to the to Ark Royal um, and Victorious as well. Give her a due, and uh, and the Fairy Swordfish um, doing exactly the job for which uh, they they'd been developed. It's amazing the sheer number of vessels, the number of people, and the aircraft involved to actually to to finally sink Bismarck. If you compare mm. it to what actually eventually happened to Ark Royal, because in, you know the the November following. Um, after 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 all of her operations in Malta, she she's struck by this torpedo, um, and then and then just sinks. Tell us about this this terrible moment at the end of Art Royal's life. Well, yes, um, as you say, she was she was hit by a single torpedo from a U boat, uh, which was um, unlucky. Um, but um, it, it was uh, you know the, the submarine direct detection was not quite at the state it it, it would be later on. Um, Ark Royal has got reasonably good underwater protection, uh, underwater subdivision and uh, uh, those sorts of t- protections. And she doesn't sink immediately. Um, she takes on a list um, and, uh, you know, other ships come to her aid. Um, and initially it's um, it looks like she could be saved. They take her in tow. They're, they're taking her towards Gibraltar. Um, it shouldn't be the end of the world. But there are flaws within Ark Royal's design that are only just starting to become apparent with um, with this uh, this torpedo that's 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 hit her in a uh, fairly vital place. Um, and as the listing continues, um, the water rises, um, and crucially, it blocks the uptakes um, for the uh, for the funnel, um, so that the boiler fires go out. Uh, and without steam, she's finished. Essentially, she can't. Her pumps can't continue to work. She can't continue to do damage, uh, damage control. Uh, you know, the lights are out below deck. The the damage repair teams, they're they're um, you know they're they're fighting a losing battle by this stage. So um, at this point, it's it's just a matter of time. And uh, she's she's almost within sight of Gibraltar when she she finally um, rolls over and sinks. Um, so this is a huge blow uh, to the Royal Navy, which doesn't have much in the way of modern aircraft carriers. It's had a couple of the new armoured ones coming through 
uh, just in the sort of previous months. But um, you know, Ark Royal has has been has has proved such a success uh, that uh, you know she can't easily be replaced, and it's um, it's a big morale blow as well as uh, you know, as well as a big tactical blow. Yeah. Yeah, but they did learn lessons, didn't they? And it feels like, um, again, another sort of significant moment in the history of the war where, where this um, transition from, from uh, carriers like Art Royal to the new ones really does change everything. Yeah, I mean, they, they learn an awful lot about um, damage and um, uh, you know, how to keep a ship in line when it's, been, um, when, when it's received heavy damage. And... Um, uh, you know about procedures as well, because there was this famous comment from the uh, the inquiry into HMS Courageous, uh, uh, another, an older carrier that had sunk early in the war, um, which was that um, you know against this process of counter flooding, which is if a ship um, takes a hit below the waterline and starts listing, one of the ways you can try and deal with that is to to flood compartments on the other side to try and bring it level again, so it doesn't eventually oh, right. roll over and capsize, yeah. which which happens to Ark Royal. Um, but they don't do this on Ark Royal, and one of the reasons is because the criticism over Courageous, uh, when the, the the Board of Inquiry um, made a sort of rather sniffy statement to the effect of "it's the enemy's job to let water into the into a ship," and uh, <laughs> he, sh- he he should not be he should not be assisted in his job by uh, um, by by the Royal Navy counter flooding its own ship. So uh, this was. Um, this the kind of snippy line which had sort of hung over the heads of uh, of, of damage control uh, parties was sort of quickly swept out of the the lexicon and uh, um, you know it was it was was realised that actually you know because uh, this you know this discouraged the process of counter flooding and I think it's possible that it could have it could have helped save Ark Royal um, but you know that it, it it was a it was a wake up call in all kinds of respects. Yeah. Well, um, it's a wonderful story, Matt. Thank you very much for sharing it with us. And um, and I'm pleased that Ark Royal is the first aircraft carrier in our iconic ship series. Thank you so much for talking to me today. You're very welcome. Thank you all so much for listening. Now, please do follow us on social media. In particular, please check out the Mariner's Mirror podcast on YouTube, where you will find an ever-growing library of the most wonderful, innovative videos presenting our maritime past in entirely new ways. Please spread the word. Please tell your friends about the podcast. And above all, please join the society itself. It really doesn't cost very much, but your subscription fee will help support this podcast, will help publish the Mariner's Mirror Journal, will help preserve our maritime heritage and as a paying member you get to come to our annual dinner on board HMS Victory, a wonderful treat. And you can find all of this at the Society for Nautical Research's website at snr.org.uk When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. 
If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.